Hello, and welcome back to Vox Popcast, the weekly pseudo-academic roundtable of pop culture analysis with drinking and swearing. My name is Christopher Maverick, but you can call me Mav, and I am once again here with my co-host, Palindrome Hannah Rogers. How's it going, Hannah? Well, we can congratulate Katya for taking the lead in the box office game because she picked Scream. Well, she doesn't have it yet. The Scream, as we record, has zero dollars at the box office. Well, it will by the time we release. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it, will have, yeah but... it will have like more than the 355, which is the only other movie out. If only because it has a 77% score on Rotten Tomatoes and the 355 has like 26%, I think, last time I checked. I want to see the 355 really bad, but apparently not. Jumping the gun, let's introduce our guest before we even do the topic, just so she can comment on it. But we have two guests. We have returning to the podcast, longtime friend of the show, Nicole Freem. Hey, Nicole. Hey, Mav. Hey, Hannah. Hey. (laughs) And we also have Mike Hancock. Hey, Mike. Hello. So two guests, but neither of you have seen the 355 yet. Or, or, I mean, have you heard about it? Because we were excited about this movie on our box office draft. It was really interesting listening back to the box office draft, because by the time that show came out, we knew that 355 was bombing at the box office in America, but we didn't know when we drafted it. So we were so excited about it. <laughs> <laughs> And it is apparently not doing well. But as we record, our newest player, our our newest host, Monica, is technically in the lead of the box office game as we record this episode. By the time it is out, Monica is absolutely not in the lead. And yeah. yeah. And Wayne has already (laughs) lost a movie because Disney sent its uh, original Pixar film straight to Disney Plus, which, you know, Mav, I like to think that we were kind and telling Wayne about John Wick being like <laughs> pushed to next year so that he would pick Turning Red, though we would not, because that would have been our next picks, I think, because we actually pay attention to these things. <laughs> yes. Yeah, it was, it was uh, on there. But uh, yeah, if you haven't ha- heard the box office show yet, this is, we'll be talking about it all year. So make sure you go back. But that's not what we're doing. Well, well no, I guess we're, we're not doing any more today because we've done it, but we, we've done it today. So what are we doing for the rest of the day, Hannah? Well, you know, since we're, you know, talking about the things we're going to be talking about for the year round, it's sort of a transition to revisiting an old topic, which is serialization. Back in July of 2021, back when we were happy, we actually took a deep dive into serialization. And so if you want to hear about the history of serialization and what it is, and how, you know, it's evolved over the course of history and, and now relates to things on the internet, you can go back and listen to our 170th show. If mm-hmm. you want to hear more about serialization, you can stick around and, you know, find out what happens this week. We have some new guests, some new perspectives and some new questions. I, I, I mean, you're, what you're saying is that, you know, this is the second in a series. Yes. This episode. <laughs> so I'm doing the best I can to make our show serialized instead of episodic following the great tradition of Charles Dickens and Lost. And that was one of the things that we talked about on that last episode. We talked yes. about what counted as serialized, you know, in, in the world of podcasting, because we don't think that our show is, but many podcasts are. But then we talked a lot about serialized publishing of like old novels and mm-hmm. you know, a little bit about comic books. But both of our guests this time, 
are here because we had thoughts about, you know, there's lots of things that you can serialize. It's not just Victorian novels and it's not just the modern American comic book. It's certainly television, certainly modern games, Mike mentioned. And I don't know, I would say that things like romance novels in the modern day are serialized, not in the same way as the Victorian novel, because in the Victorian novel, you were like serializing one chapter at a time, as opposed to something like, Nicole, was it was Bridgerton the last time you were on the show or have you been on since Bridgerton? I know you were on when we talked about Bridgerton, but Bridgerton is a series of novels. Yes, it is. And that might be the last time. I don't remember, honestly. (laughs) Not the only one. I mean, there are multiple romance authors who are, I don't know if you necessarily call them serials, but they're going with the whole interconnected books, right? Mm -hmm. Like either from from a family or friends or something like that. So Mm -hmm. I mean, I know Stephanie Lawrence does it, Lisa Klepas does it, Julie Garwood. Right. Joanna Lindsay. Some of these are yeah. older, but uh, Courtney Milan is my favorite. But like, I, it's interesting that Mav decided to bring up romance novels, because as I was preparing for this episode, I found an article from actually the Journal of American Popular Culture from 2013 that talked about serialization and how like the happily ever after is like in deep conflict with serialization, like because and, and I, I think that Bridgerton is a wonderful example of this. The TV, like both like the books and the TV show, because the books are like sort of part of a series, but like it, it focuses on one couple and they do their marriage plot thing, like a Jane Austen novel. Mm-hmm. And then they're together and it's happy and like they don't break up. Right. And then it moves on to like the next sibling. So and, you see them, but they're there's it's not really about them anymore. Right. Yeah, and like the the like TV show really like makes an effort to be extremely serialized and it has multiple seasons, but like the, the big kind of conflict for those of you who are not obsessed with Bridgerton, like several of us currently talking, is that <laughs> the major male protagonist from season one is not returning for season two. And Shonda Rhimes, who's the executive producer, was like, well, I mean, like, that's, you know, the formula. It's not Grey's Anatomy where they all, like, break up over, like, you know, 16 seasons. And it's, like, dramatic. I'm paraphrasing. But, like, <laughs> it's, it is the happily ever after. So, like, it, I, it's interesting to me, like, that there is, like, as this um, article points out about ha- happily ever after in the serialization um, of, the, of the popular romance novel, which I, I quibble with, like, not romance novels are not like totally not serialized because you know things like north and south in the victorian period were serialized they're definitely romance novels but anyway i will you know but like, like like she's right like there's like a wholeness with the happily ever after that we talked about in the first episode we did like and that's you know very different from the like you know things have to keep continuing for the story to keep going so you know to open up the conversation to everybody you know like how does genre like you know affect like how serialization works like is it in conflict with like conflicted with certain genres? Like, does it work better for some more than others? Like, is there ever an endpoint? I mean, I, like that it can be yes and no, and maybe depending on what you know we're talking about, because you know there's like a billion genres. And I think maybe is the right answer because I don't know that I feel like genre matters for serialization. I could be wrong. I feel like serialization is a kind of media that we do that I think works well for many genre types. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe you could argue that genre shapes the strategies of serialization, that certain genres like lend themselves to being serialized in different ways. I'm thinking out loud here. Yeah, well, 
Okay, so obviously the modern comic book is just this. I mean, not all of them, obviously, but but from the big two, from Marvel and DC, their entire purpose is to be an ongoing serial of superhero stories that never, ever ends. That's that is the point that they're trying to do. And I'd say most American television, not all. Some American television has a definite storyline that they want that, that is supposed to be closed. And some American television is purely episodic where the order doesn't matter. But I'd say most American television in the modern day is doing a hopefully unbounded. How long can we get along you know, with staying on the air? unbounded narrative where the order matters and right. i think that's been true for a while i don't know about other things i think it i don't i i lose the ability to say most right because like certainly there are novels like the bridgerton book series or the game of thrones book series or the lord of the rings book series where there is a connection where you know you read Tolkien's work in order or it doesn't make sense right but yeah. i don't yeah. know that's true of everything but there's a difference between like okay if you read like Fellowship of the Ring, mm -hmm. just Fellowship of the Ring, and you read just Game of Thrones, mm -hmm. you're gonna not be satisfied. And in fact, like Tolkien, you know, had the whole narrative in mind and it like got broken up, I think, because of how big it was as one whole thing, right? And like, I mean, people have just been enraged. I mean, we talked about this last time about Game of Thrones because like the, the TV series had a terrible ending and the book series, like George R. R. Martin hasn't put out Winds of Winter in like, over a decade right. now Died whereas, before he it. whereas like i can't i don't even have to read the first bridgerton book i could start with book five and like i might not know who the minor characters are because there are major characters in another book are there going to be a major character in book seven but i can be happy with the wholeness of the marriage plot like culminating at the end of that book you know what i mean mm -hmm. yes so I was, I mean, I've mentioned this on the show before, is growing up as a kid, I was a big fan of the Oz books. I've read them all, right? Great. I don't believe I read them in order originally. I mean, it's been 40 years. I don't remember the order I read them in, but I don't think I read them in order the first time. I, and I know I read some of them more than once. I just sort of read them, you know, either as people got them for me or as, as I tended to, you know, just kind of pick them up because they're you know, they were written 100 years before I was born or something, you know, not quite 80 years before I was born there. The order is not exactly random. There is uh, there are serialized elements like, OK, so in the first book, obviously, Dorothy returns to Kansas later in I don't remember, it's probably like five or six books in she permanently moves to Oz. So, you know, going from book seven to book two seems weird because she's not living in in, in oz anymore right uh, actually she's not in book two she's in book three i can't believe i know this stuff <laughs> anyway but going out of order matters there in the earlier books toto can't talk and then suddenly he can so things like that might screw you up but most of the narrative you know where does ozma come from ozma gets introduced in the lost princes of oz but then she's later just sort of around in all these other books so Order matters a little bit, but for the most part, it doesn't. And I would liken it to what we said about like our show, right? Our show, Hannah, you're not on for the first 20 something episodes. And then you just are and you're around. And, you know, Monica's not on for the first 150 episodes. And then she just is and she's around. And that's just how it works. And there's serialized elements, but I'd say it's only partially serialized. And the only reason we do things like Game of Thrones now, the way we do it, is because Tolkien accidentally invented the modern 
you know, fantasy serial, right? Because he didn't want that book broken up. And Martin is trying to do a Tolkien. But I'd say the more common way of doing it is like the Oz books or the Sherlock Holmes books or, you know, or anybody else where you're like, you can read, you can skip some novels. It's fine. You know, (laughs) it doesn't matter for Courtney Milan. Yeah, like in her book, in Courtney Milan's books, you don't have to read them all. I mean, there's an order to them, right? But does it matter if you skip, if you read one, three, seven, eight, nine, you know, it's fine, right? More or less. I mean, there are a few things that are like mysterious, but yeah, like I'll admit that I only read one, like I, I think I started like the third book of a series because I was very interested in the telegraph, which is the nerdiest thing I've ever said, probably. <laughs> and that's saying a lot being on this show. Which I guess like if, you know, genre doesn't necessarily make a difference, even if it shapes it or like maybe sometimes serialization pays off for certain types of genres. Like, you know, we, we talked about like the whodunit and like cliffhangers being at the end of chapters last time. I also wonder if like there is a difference in how serialization, you know, appears in medium then and by medium as opposed to genre, I mean like mm-hmm. novel, movie, game. Mm-hmm. Right. I would like to take a quick opportunity to say that I also love the Oz series and shout out to the Gnome King as like super villain before comics. Made it cool. <laughs> <sighs> terrifying. And I was like, I'm just thinking, does anybody even know what we're talking about? The Gnome King? <laughs> he is terrifying. I mean, again, he's terrifying when you read it the first time when you're seven. I don't know. I, I've not tried to read it as an adult. I've read a couple of them as an adult, but I've not really taken a deep dive into them. At the risk of, like, taking us down a path, despite me having asked a question, I mean, like, you know, like, things from your childhood are still terrifying, like, Radigan from, like, the, you know, Sherlock Holmes, but not really, like, Great Mouse Detective Disney movie. That's really scary. And I'm 30. (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to to mention that I know know the Gnome King from Blade Trinity. (laughs) I'm sorry. <laughs> that is not a good film. I love, well, okay, I okay. love Dominic Purcell, so I don't care. But anyway. It's not a good film. I mean, well, but maybe that's part of what we should talk about. Because we didn't really talk about film series. <laughs> I hate trying to pluralize series. I, you know, I have several degrees in English. I know that the plural of series is series. It sounds weird. Series is this. I fuck <laughs> um, anyway <laughs> um but but in in an mcu world right I, everything wants to be a, a film franchise you know you've got your mcus your fast and fury you know your your james bond movies you know all of which we've done shows on but just doing stuff like blade trinity like blade trinity is a trilogy I guess it's, you know, it's a movie that has it's it's a movie that has that is better than any than it had any right to be. And then it's a sequel. And then they also made Blade Trinity for reasons that no one understands. (laughs) Is it is that a series? Is it serialized or is it does cash grab count as serialized? I don't know. Well, of course, we're talking about different things. We're talking about what did they intend and what did they end up with? Because I think they intended it to be, you know, an ongoing part of the series. But what they wound up with was not what they had hoped. (laughs) So and then they went off and but then they spun the character off into a television series. 
And I actually, I liked the TV series, but then of course it got canceled. So, you know. Anna, Michael, have you guys seen these films or no. all of them? Okay. I've seen the first two, I think. Okay. Mm. The third one. I like it better okay. than Jeff so you know, does. So. <laughs> okay. Here, you know how sometimes when when you see something bad and like people are trying to be nice about it and they go, you know, choices were made. Choices were not made in Blade <laughs> Trinity. Shit just happened. <laughs> there was um, much of which had to do with Wesley Snipes deciding that he hated everybody and and actively trying to tank his own movie <laughs> as far as like I, yeah. I, I there's no other way to look at it he yeah. was trying to kill this film yes so, however so, i'm a huge um, fan of terrible movies therefore yeah yeah you know, i watch the sharknado movies unironically so <laughs> I, lo I love the Sharknado movies, but just before we move into Sharknado, there's a point. In, I just have to point out for the audience. There's a point in Blade Trinity where Wesley Snipes refuses to open his eyes for the entire scene. So they CGI open eyes on top of him <laughs> in the final footage. This is in the film. This is in the release film. When you watch it, it is not good CGI. I'm calling it CGI. It's also possible somebody went through the film strip a frame at a time with a Crayola crayon and drew eyeballs on him. It's really bad. <laughs> Sharknado, on the other I, hand, is criminally underrated as a series. And there's, I, there's actually a thought. <laughs> I couldn't finish that, but I, I actually do enjoy the I, I do enjoy the Sharknado films as well. And ironically, there's heart there. <laughs> Okay, what was our original question? We were talking about the difference. Oh, yeah, okay, okay, I'll bring us, I'll bring us back. So I asked, you know, like if genre might lend itself more, but doesn't necessarily like go to find the form of a work of art. What about like how does medium like interact with serialization, whether it's a movie or a TV show or a novel or a game? Like, d does it like register differently in different mediums? And then we got off track with scary children things, and then we started. <laughs> <laughs> well, everything uh, we talked about with the series, so I would agree with that, especially in terms of games. That I think the fact that the player is one of the primary characters within games has a major effect on their conception of it as a series. I know. For a lot of people, the Mass Effect trilogy has special meaning because it's their shepherd, it's their crew that they shaped from hundreds and hundreds of cumulative decisions. And other games are often not quite that serial uh, in terms of one choice leading to another thing in a game, but there's still this sense of like the fact that you are embodying the character is what carries you from one iteration to the other. It's hard. I think especially in some game series to jump characters unless that's an established part of the series already. When you say hard to jump characters, you mean hard from a narrative point within the same game or you mean hard for for on I think the in terms of fan player. reception. Yeah. Okay. Unless unless the new characters come with new mechanics or something that kind of justifies some shifting. Well, I mean, I wonder is, is that I don't know that's unique to games. I think it's I think it is the identification that you're talking about, right? Like mm -hmm. the nice thing about serialization, if you're having an ongoing narrative, if I just read if I read or watch, you know, a one and done action franchise or romance or whatever, some something that I really enjoy, right? If I watch one and I'm out, like Blade Runner was for so long, like I adored Blade Runner 
but like that was the narrative right and then i get into the to the sequel and it was kind of weird coming back but the sequel to blade runner is not about deckard it's very much about mm. k it is very much a different story right and and i'm able to do that because there's really only those two movies right now i'll compare this to spider-man when after 50 years 40 some odd years spider-man comics just decide we're not going to be about peter parker anymore we're going to be about ben riley massive rejection by the right. fan base right massive rejection Less so when they decided they wanted to be about Miles Morales, but that was because they learned their lessons. When the Miles Morales comics appear, Peter Parker comics continue as well, right? Like, yes, I realize they killed off Ultimate Peter Parker, but but both storylines are available. Miles is really a new character. I think serialization allows you to form a connection, a very deep connection with someone that you're following over a long period of time that makes it hard to just... It makes it hard to accept the new guy if you're just like if you just want people to be mm-hmm. into the new guy. I guess it depends on what kind of like where you're starting. Like as we since we brought up the Oz examples, it's got more of a ensemble cast that changes mm-hmm. between volumes and that works. Oh, I guess. So well, yeah, teams. Well, hold on oh, though. Yeah. Do people know that? Right? Like you and oh, I know uh, that because we were both yes. as we were both yes, childhood. Because like, we're, pr- I if guess, you're not a fan of the books, you think that Oz is about Dorothy, but Dorothy's mm-hmm. not even in the, in the second book, right? Dorothy is a character from Oz. She is, you know, ultimately less important than Ozma. I guess with like superhero teams, you can have certain members step back, but it'll still be, well, that's not my team kind of thing mm-hmm. with some fans. Yeah. I mean, like, I got to admit that I read different series. I read The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. Yeah. Mm-hmm. As it's like a great loved it then like i think the books in the library like my parents didn't believe in buying a lot of books when i was a kid because the library was available which fair i read like a hundred books during the summer so like that would have bankrupted them one at their house instead yes okay yeah yeah so like uh, the only one available is the silver chair mm-hmm. and so like i got the silver chair and for narnia fans or readers you might recall the silver chair like features characters who are not in the line the witch in the wardrobe like like you know aslan and other characters no spoilers i don't know why i always do this for old things but i'm gonna do it anyway <laughs> are, are like are the like narrative thread connection there so i was like who are these people i don't want to read this where's lucy and you know if you read the books it, it kind of does like what mav mm-hmm. talked about with the spider-man like strategy in that like C.S. Lewis slowly introduces new characters and then like mm-hmm. brings some old characters back at times. But yeah, I, I get what you're saying about like identification and rejection. Although I to go back to games, I wonder if it's like I mean, you you all know how obsessed I am with Peter Parker, so I don't deny. But like, I wonder if it's slightly different for games because like I don't think I'm Peter Parker. I just really love Peter Parker. A weird way that can only be explained by like loving spider-man at the age of four Mm -hmm. but like in games like whether in in any medium of board games whether it's role play or you know like some board games or you know video Mm -hmm. games like you are taking on that character and like literally doing actions of a character Mm -hmm. so i wonder if like there is a slight difference there I mean, you like, are Lara Croft. You are yeah. Mario. Sure. Or you, you are, you know, like in case of role play, like you invent your own character and you make something and you mm-hmm. create a serialized story in which you come back to the table and play collectively. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, I mean, if you're if you have, you know, some friends of mine have, you know, a D&D game that they've played for 
decades now. So, you know, God forbid anything happened to those characters, but Mm -hmm. they'll start new and different game, you know, as you know, sort of let's do something else for a while. And since they're not, they haven't invested years in those characters and don't have history, you know, oh, this one died. Need to make a new one. Oh, well, whatever. (laughs) I mean, yes. So are we saying that be it a game or be it a book, the long-term investment matters. I, it, I don't. I guess it. It feels like maybe it does. I mean, I'm, I'm just thinking about like the rejections that that crappy comic book fans have yeah. over. You know, you've uh, no can't be black, can't be a woman. You know, mm-hmm. be, be, why? Because they weren't right. Like that's the like, and, and it really mm-hmm. is. Yeah, just uh, just an attachment to what they're used to. The female Ghostbusters came out. You're ruining my childhood. No, actually, the movie yes. you loved is yeah. still yeah. there. You can watch it again. If you don't mm-hmm. like this one, don't watch it. But maybe it does. I mean, it's, you know, if you think about long running sh- television shows, they kind of have both of that, right? That if you watch a random episode of Law and Order, it's self contained. However, sure. There are there may be things going on with the characters that if you've watched multiple of them, you know what's going on with Lenny Briscoe or Jack McCoy or whatever. So there's sort of crossover that it could be that it can be both so that it kind of can reward people who've been watching it for a long time. But at the same time, you can jump in still like the episode. Mm hmm. So. Is there light serialization? I mean, and maybe that's the the most common kind of kind of serialization that we're used to in modern pop culture media. I was when we were preparing for this episode, Stephanie, who listeners know is my wife, has been on the show before. She was asking me what we were recording tonight. And I told her and she actually posed the question to me. And Stephanie is not a literary scholar. She's a psychologist, but she's obviously familiar with what a television serial is because she lives, you know, in the year 2022, right? So like she's she lives on the planet Earth. She has experienced serialized fiction. But she but she asked me something. She said, "So explain something to me." And I was like, well, "And she says, is a show like and she's and she picks Seinfeld as her example. Is Seinfeld serialized?" And I and by gut I said, "No, it's episodic." And she said, "Well, yeah, but things change over time. Like there is storyline progression. Like when George gets married and or tries to get married, and you know there are there there are ongoing storylines that." do matter mm-hmm. even though like i said the order doesn't matter but of course it does and i'm thinking another one like uh friends mm-hmm. friends is a friends has a lot of very episodic stories where order doesn't matter at all unless you're trying to follow the arc of, of ross and rachel or the arc of chandler and monica mm-hmm. right like the, these love stories go on for the entire series run but the storyline as a whole is only lightly serialized. You just said Law and Order, another good example. The DAs change over time. People age. Lenny Briscoe dies when Jerry Orbach, the actor, died. You know, th- that sort of thing happens. Huh? I mean, I said spoiler. I was oh, you didn't know that? <laughs> yeah. Oh, spoiler. Jerry Orbach's dead. I mean, he's a, he, he actually I mean, has been for quite some time. In the strictest Victorian serialization sense, and 
Yes, I know serialization didn't mean in the Victorian period. See previous episode, but whatever. <laughs> anyway, in the strictest most Victorian sense, the technology of serialization didn't mean that like something was like heavily serialized in the form of like something like Lost, where like you really will be like WTF if you just drop in. Like like Dickens wrote things like the Pickwick Papers, which were more like silly and episodic, and like there was tons of like serialized picaresque kind of things. So like you know you could drop it. So like 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 there. That's, I mean, I think that's, like, the tension that we had in, like, the previous episode, too, in dealing with serialization versus episodic, because there there is, the I think, the difference between, like, the storyline needing to, like, have the other parts to fill whole and the technology of it's being released weekly or bi-monthly or monthly or whatever. Mm-hmm. And I'll, I'll, yeah, and also, like... I think that something else that we've talked about a little bit is like audience reaction. And I'm curious about like, you know, I'm so curious about like how audiences like affect serialization or how they're affected by the serialization because, you know, we've talked about our own experiences with our childhood books and also about like, you know, like comic book fans like throwing a fit over things that matter and things that should not be thrown a fit over. I mean, it... (laughs) I think one of the I'm going to do a uh, quote a little bit of Stan Lee here, and then I'm going to go into Umberto Echo, <laughs> two great scholars, right? <laughs> um, um, who, who obviously go well together. Mm-hmm. Just who are literally put into conversation with each other in my dissertation. So Stan Lee calls it the illusion of change, right? Like he says that the secret to writing Spider-Man comics, he was specifically talking about Spider-Man, but like all of his comics, all of Stan Lee's Marvel comics run during his during his time as a writer there is that nothing ever actually changed he just like sort of tried to make big events feel like like character progression was happening but really peter parker has to remain this lovable loser teenager at least that was how stan saw it now in reality peter grows up right peter eventually goes to college he graduates high school he goes to college he graduates college he becomes a grad student he gets married you know like he's got a life right but stan saw it as characters not being able to progress Umberto Echo calls that mythic inconsumability. He says that a superhero, Echo is specifically talking about Superman, can only work if everything seems bigger and larger than life, but the status quo must always be reset, right? And the point of this being that these serials, these unbounded, never-ending serials are comforting because you can always come back to it. And because the storyline resets, you can always jump in. And the ongoing series feels comfortable. It feels like living nostalgia. It's a weird thing, right? So that's great. But on the other hand, the drawback is you end up resistant to change if you rely on that too heavily, right? People, there is a bit of racism and sexism to the classic, you know, gatekeepery fanboy of, you know, no, you can't be a woman because you weren't. You can't be a person of color because they weren't. But it's not... To understand that classic fanboy, you have to understand that they're not really grasping to the color or the gender so much as they're grasping to the sameness. Like, yes, because it was characters that spoke to them, they they are they want the sameness. But when they replaced Peter Parker with Ben Riley, he's a literal clone. It's a it's the same character. It's a you know, it's a guy who looks just like the other guy who has the same background as the other guy. They didn't like that the name changed. 
<laughs> like, like that is how married and they were people, you know, there were people who were, you know, ready to kill over this. They were adamantly furious about like, how dare you take away my Spider-Man because the name changed. So, so I guess what I'm saying is I think that there's something comforting about the serial just because you can return to it in the same way as that video game. You, Mike talked about Mass Effect, right? Like that's I, I don't think anybody would call Mass Effect a, you know, a cozy game. Right. But like the fact that you can return that you can return to it over and over again and you can build an investment in your world, you know. And I think that speaks a little to what we're talking about genre, too, that within a series you can't shift genre too far without people mm-hmm. getting uneasy. Yeah, I think that's fair. It's it's interesting to me, like, too, like, how much audience not just, like, rejects things, but, like, has the power to, you know, shape them on occasion. Like, D- Dickens was going to famously kill some people yeah. off on occasion in some of his more famous novels. And people were like, but no, it needs to have a happy ending. And he actually listened to them. But... But like, I also like think that, you know, the audience can be shaped by the serial form. Like I, if nothing else, I was physically like there in high school every like weeknight that Lost came on when it like, and when it shifted in time, I I shifted my schedule so I could watch the new episode. So I, does it, it does serialization have like a particular like power over the people who like are involved in it? Like, does it change the reader or the viewer? It makes people stay up till three in the morning to catch the new premiere on Disney Plus of Mandalorian or Book of (laughs) Boba Fett or Loki or Hawkeye or whatever. So, yes, I mean, I mean, I'm awake anyway. Right. Like I don't sleep, but like I am amazed by how many people who. So for the listener, this is a weird thing. Nicole is three time zones behind me. So and we've had many conversations at midnight her time when she's like, (laughs) why are you up? Because I just don't sleep. But like. There's weird things now where 3 a.m. Eastern time in the United States is when episodes of Disney Plus shows drop. So they're they're half an hour to an hour long. So I will watch like a, you know, a new episode of Hawkeye or a new right now Book of Boba Fett's coming out as we record. So I'll watch it on Wednesday night at 3 a.m. And I'm like, okay, I'll watch this at 3 a.m. And then I will go to bed at four and get up and teach tomorrow. That's my regular bedtime. And I watch it at 3 a.m. And then I'll, you know, maybe look at Twitter and Facebook as I'm going to bed. And I see other people in the Eastern time zone talking about Book of Boba Fett. And I'm sitting here going, what the fuck is wrong with you people? Go to bed. It will be there tomorrow. But like no one wants to be spoiled by it. So people are staying up till four in the morning to watch these shows. So I think, yes, they've changed the audience, right? I was up anyway, but like it didn't used to be the case that other people were up watching these things with me disney has made them do that likewise i think if you're a longtime comic fan uh, you can see the point where like you realize oh new comics come out on wednesdays and kind of schedule your reading around it you schedule your week around it i can't work yeah like do do not schedule a late meeting on wednesday with you geeks working for you yeah you got to be at the store before it closes absolutely and now it's now for me, it's like, oh, Monday morning, check what new things have shown up on Marvel Unlimited. It makes me think of show Chuck, which was going to be canceled multiple mm-hmm. times. Oh. But the fan outcry yeah. was so much that it got continued. Mm-hmm. Yes. I love Chuck so much. It was so cute. Everyone should watch it. Anyway. And they were 
if I remember correctly, they were super smart about the way they did it because they also went straight to the show's sponsors mm -hmm. and yeah, talked about how much they liked it. Mm -hmm. So it's it's fan seriality with an emphasis mm -hmm. on consumerism. Mm -hmm. And this was mm -hmm. it was it was before I think before Netflix was really big. I mean, because if it had been if that had happened yeah. now, yeah. it might they might just go and try and pitch it to a streaming service and say, pick us up like like Lucifer. Right. And just switch it somewhere. Mm -hmm. But well, Riverdale only exists on the air as much as I love that show. It exists on the air because the streaming contract that CW has with Netflix is more lucrative than the actual airing of Riverdale. Like it's it is consistently when a new episode, when a new season drops, it does very well on streaming and Netflix is willing to pay for it. It does extremely mediocrely from week to week on the on American television and it's dying it's you know it's been around for six five years now mm -hmm. right so it's not not as it's not doing what it used to but it's mostly all about streaming but maybe that's okay because isn't that how serialization really picks up in the age of the novel right it was always about the technology and the capitalist forces right we talked about that on the last show mm -hmm. penny dreadful has existed because it's much cheaper to sell somebody, you know, 12 pages for a penny than it is to sell them a $10 book. Yep. Nobody had $10, you know, <laughs> or, you know, hand bound, you know, like all these things were disposable. And it was all about the technology of delivery to the consumer. Also, I, I just have to say that, like, by the way, it was Subway yes. that was Chuck's sponsor to just go back. And like, oh. they like it was. Yeah, they definitely like went to Subway, as was said. But like the lead of the show, Zachary Levy, was like, like led fans into a Subway restaurant at one point. <laughs> and like it it was like it was a whole thing. Like you can it, it's very much like chronicled as like a famous example. And I, I think there have been like other shows that's done this Mm -hmm. to around that time but yeah it was fantastic i did not participate though i cheered them on because i am lazy but <laughs> so what you're saying is everyone should watch chuck it is a wonderful show it is, it is so cute yeah it's and also like i only watched shazam because zachary levy was in it because i knew him from chuck and also tangled when I discovered he had a delightful singing voice and is not a bad voice actor. And like some people are going to be, I'm sure, Chris Pratt. But Pratt's actually a fine voice actor. And he's in Lego movies. Great. Right. <laughs> he's not Mario. Come on. You know, he, he doesn't need to be everybody. I'm not saying I'm not saying he's going to be good as Mario. I'm simply really good in Lego movies. That's I was very particular. I, fair. I like him in Lego movies. But anyway, yes, I see. Anyway, anyway, so I, I only watched Shazam because Zachary Levy was in it. And Shazam is super cute and the best DC movie in my opinion so thank you Chuck for many delightful <laughs> years of entertainment yeah. is what I'm saying that has nothing to do with this episode except you should enjoy Chuck and its serialization but nevertheless here we are I thank you thank you for this gift You're reminding welcome. me how much I, I, I love, love Chuck, Chuck too so. <laughs> <laughs> on a side note I will just I, I will mention because you brought it up strangely enough the Silver Chair was the first book I read of the Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe series. Oh, I, interesting. I, I picked it up somewhere. It was a used copy. And, you know, and this was, you know, fifth grade or whatever. And then I went and read the whole series. So I didn't look at it as, hey, you know, where are my favorites from the other book? Because it was the first book. So uh, maybe it just... 
was like, oh, okay. Because in my head, I think I was like, oh, it was book number four. So of course that there will be different people. But so I have a question then. This is a really weird question. And another tangent on the world of serialization, right? I think there is a common belief that there's a war between the Narnia people (laughs) and the, you know, the Hobbit people. Yeah. And I guess, you know, I've read all the Lord of the Rings books. I've read Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. I read some other Narnia book when I was a kid. I don't remember. I don't even remember which one. It bored me stiff. I hated (laughs) them. I read these books and I'm like, why are these not Oz? (laughs) So my point being... Does serialization and the level of familiarity that we get with it, like the the point where we become comfortable and we become, I think serialization leads to being a fanboy, mm-hmm. you know, or a stan. It gives you, it's a lot easier to be super invested in the Marvel universe with its hundred billion in, you know, installments than it is to just be like, yeah, I'm, I'm into this one, you know, this one sci-fi story that's ever right. Like it's easier to be super into something that goes on for a long time i to me narnia always seemed like a pale imitation of oz like always as a kid i'm like why this is so derivative and bad i thought and it's not i don't think it's actually bad i think i was just very in love with the idea of bombs world right so you see this with people no how can you like you know how can you like marvel comics because i'm a dc boy or i'm a dc boy how can you like you know i'm a marvel zombie back in the day or like even now with the film series right like the people who are slavishly devoted to restoring the the snyder verse right or who is your batman or who is your james bond or you know oh my god you know no that's not my doctor the doctor is david Tennant. no the doctor is tom baker you know whatever right no the doctor is matt smith and i have (laughs) I've watched an episode since you left. And see, that's exactly the thing. But like, but you're younger than you're younger than I am, and to and no, and and you're also wrong. The doctor is David Tennant. But but the point is, do, does serialization lead to that kind of ownership to the point of you know defense and unreasonable, you know, fan fanished? I would say it can. I mean, I don't think it has to. But I mean, if you try to talk oh, Harry Potter to to some people, they are, you know, very possessive of it. And so when, the, you know, mm-hmm. the Fantastic Beasts movie were coming out and people like, that's not right or, you know, or whatever. I don't know. I mean, I think... This is starting. I mean, it's starting to get into. I think. I don't. Maybe when you experienced it, right? Because we, I think, we cling on harder to things that that got us interested in something. That maybe that becomes more special, and we don't want that to change. I mean, like we're saying, you know, if you read this when you were younger, you have a stronger attachment or a fonder memory of it, or something like that. And so, don't ruin that. Maybe hmm. the Star Wars effect, because mm-hmm. like everyone hates all the Star Wars that is not their Star Wars. Right. Mm-hmm. Like you grew up in the 70s and 80s watching the original Star Wars like I did, you know, and then you get to these prequels and you're like, what the 
fuck is with a Jar Jar? And, you know, and he's like, this is so horrible. This is awful. And not realizing, yeah, Jar Jar is crappy and annoying because he was just, you know, he was written for four-year-olds, just like 3PO. 3PO was crappy and annoying. <laughs> and, and I enjoy 3PO because the first time I saw 3PO, I was a child, <laughs> you know, and, and so I it, and I grew up liking 3PO and, you know, Jar Jar is the same way. And I don't know that anybody. Well, no one really hated BB-8, but people hated Porgs. Porgs are just cute. Um, okay, They're just the smart toys. Porgs are the smartest thing that's ever <laughs> happened to the Star Wars creature universe because they were literally used as a practical means to cover up puffins that existed in the real world where yeah. they filmed, which also everybody needs to get off. I know this has nothing to do with serialization, but whatever. Everyone needs to get off their <laughs> high horse about like cute things in Star Wars. First of all, there's entire ecosystems in Star Wars. There are a lot of ugly things there are a lot of cute things cute things exist in the world back off <laughs> let people enjoy the porgs that's <laughs> all. well that's kind of the point right like the people who hate it they're only hating it because they are believing in this magical world where the most important thing that can ever happen to you is you get stuck in a trash compactor <laughs> like that's what they're that's what they want star wars to be but they'd already made those movies so does i guess what i'm getting at though star wars is a serial that on some level has gone on now for 43 years i can't do math 46 years <laughs> 76 to 2002 47. yeah 46 years of star warsing now 77 and that's not right is it 70 wait i'm bad at math 77 to 2002 so 2022 no, <laughs> god i'm tired also, like, also, I just, anytime anyone says 2022 does everyone else get like a, oh god we're in 2022 what it feels like it is yeah tw it's tw 20 it's 2020 and it is march 774th or whatever it is you know so but yeah my point being Star Wars has been around for 45 years. It's a serial that went on forever. Are you naturally inclined to just grow to hate it because it can never be what it was when you first experienced it? Because that was 45 years ago or 35 years ago or 25 or 15 or, you know, however old you are. But like you can't recapture this magic and the serialized media is immortal in a way that you aren't right like you've grown and changed but these books or films are stagnant and long-standing so it feels like they've grown with you because they've continued to be published with you but spider-man is different in 2022 than he was when i was reading him when i was 10 in the 80s you know in 1980 i think for i mean like on star wars in specific i, I think too it matters as to whether or not you were reading the books because the long time in between mm -hmm. the films, mm -hmm. there were plenty of books published set in the Star Wars universe. And mm -hmm. so it's funny because in one way I would think, well, so those people were more, they were sort of following it to them. The, the universe had already grown and expanded at the same time, at the same mm -hmm. time then, and then they lost it. it was, wait a minute, what do you mean? You're not going to film heir to the empire. Oh, mm hmm. Mm hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I wasn't personally a huge, I've, I've read a surprisingly large number of the books, given that I am not a huge fan of them. It still felt like when they <laughs> did the new films, like I have not been able to like grapple with them. I am, they're just not very much of interest to me because to me, the books are the, what it, the series went into. And this is kind of just there, but I'm not, I don't have any emotional attachment to it. 
Well, but and that's this, the serialization, look, right? Oh, yeah. Like, I know, absolutely. Hannah, you're attached to, Mar, you're attached to Mara Jade, whatever. right? Because yeah. you've read a dozen of her books. And yeah. So I also, like, I, I guess it's very, also, this is a really interesting example because, like, this is like a cross medium like, mm-hmm. serialization. Because, like, we, we have, like, the films, we have books, we have TV shows, we have comics now of Star Wars. Honestly, there's probably some radio play floating around that I've forgotten about at this point. And so, like, that's an interesting <laughs> aspect. But, you know, I do love some of the extended universe characters and stories but you know me i i just love my star wars so <laughs> i would i'm ready to like you know i mean i like you know sobbing in the theater at last jedi's premiere when like little girls came in dressed as like ray and rose <laughs> and you know I, i've performed my marxist readings of the new series on the air uh, for you guys to go back and listen to so i'm I, I, I guess I'm the exception to like the childhood rule, but are one of the exceptions because I did watch the original trilogy as a kid, hated oh. the prequels because they were bad. Revenge of the Sith is the worst Star Wars movie. I agree. The internet can, <laughs> the, the internet can come at me. I'll, def- I'll deflect for you. I like Attack of the Clones. I think that the fact that the Star Wars started over a campaign finance reform argument is brilliant. So <laughs> screw you if you don't like it. <laughs> <I'm> all- <laughs> I think it just it must you know there's always like the exception to the rule but I I think that like you're certainly right about like serialization like creating universes that like we want to live in or like characters that we want to be with for a long I mean like anytime I read a Dickens novel I'm sad that it's over which I know makes me a interesting (laughs) person to talk to um but this is like the problem like the MCU right like I, I accept the MCU like is a coherent narrative but like Star Wars like how do you keep up like they've explained like an alternate timeline but like they've they're now jumping into like TV shows on Disney Plus and like you know they have the like a standalone movies and they have the seer like the main series and they have comic books and like some of those like even like the new stuff like conflicts like Poe's like story in like the comic books is not the same as Poe's story in like the ninth movie really Mm-hmm. Well, the, and the answer is, I think it's going to take another episode, but what happens when serialization leads to a universe so unwieldy that it's, you know, it's got to be, you know, serialization into retcons, right? Because, yes, I realize that people are grappling with this, and I hear the same thing with people grappling with the MCU, right? Well, how do I figure out, you know, does Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. count or not? I need to know. I need to know. Okay, look. If you've been reading comic books for a while, you know it doesn't matter. Like, ask anybody who's a fan of DC Comics and <laughs> has, has had to deal with, like, crises on Earth 1, 2, 3, Infinity, Final Crisis, Armageddon, freaking Zero Hour. If you've read Zero Hour, Zero Hour has a panel where continuity changes in the middle of a storyline, and you're just supposed to deal with it. <laughs> it's, and then they did the same thing again in, in Countdown, the most recent. Like, they just, that's just the nature of it. And so, yeah. Yeah, Poe's story conflicts. Yeah, that there's an extended universe and there's a new Disney canonized universe. And I just, you know, I don't care. You know, I'll watch a Spider-Verse. You know, <laughs> you know, like that's so like I think maybe that's where we need to go with this next for as we discuss this. Like, you know, what do you do when, you know, how do you do uh, multiverses, I guess? You know, when the serial leads to the multiverse, how does that work? <laughs> So we've resolved nothing is what I'm getting at. <laughs> so I guess the polite question is, do our guests want to like talk about anything that they have unresolved in their heart or feelings or thoughts? <laughs> that relates to serialization, to be clear. Unresolved in their hearts? <laughs> I, I don't know. It's 9.50. It's Friday. 
Monday at midnight. What are you talking about? <laughs> Actually, I don't know. I don't know that listeners really listen to midnight on Monday. <laughs> Let us know in the comments if you listen to us right at midnight as the episode drops. What, yeah, and wouldn't it be really... super flattering if someone stays awake to hear us talk? <laughs> Monday morning, you know, on a school night. Yeah, sure. Yeah. <laughs> I, I will quickly plug one of my favorite weird series thing. This isn't this is fairly well known, but I just love the fact that the Western Super Mario 2 is different from the Japanese Super Mario 2 that they figured the game they actually made as Super Mario 2 in the series for the Japanese audience was too difficult. So they just took a totally different game called Doki Panic and reinscribed it with Mario like figures and just sold it as that. So can you get the original Super Mario 2 in yes, America? Yes, they re-released it in one of the lost level packs in Mario All-Stars. So is it just different gameplay or what's the... Uh, it's totally it's different. Mario 2 is you don't kill enemies by jumping on them. You pick them up and throw them. It's a <laughs> different game dynamic. The reason that Princess Peach like hovers comes from that video game that this was something that had been originally given to a totally different character, and they just assigned it to her as a power. Why not? <laughs> so that's like I, I think that's an interesting thing that like games as a medium can enable that you can just kind of reskin things, call it a sequel, and go home for the day. Well, and and we talked a little bit about games, but I think, and maybe this is part of, I don't know if this is a different episode or if this is where the series diverges into two different things, but I'm thinking about like fighting games have an ongoing canonized narrative, but, mm -hmm. it, but they also have a multiverse incarnate in every fighting game that is, that is part of the Street Fighter series or the Tekken series. Like, so every Tekken video game there's an ending where your character wins the King of Iron Fist tournament. Because if you've gone through the entire game and you've won it with your character, you deserve your ending. So like if you play Tekken 1 and then Tekken 2 and then Tekken 3, you can play as Yoshimitsu in each game and then you can always win. Yoshimitsu never actually wins the King of Iron Fist tournament because Tekken 2 assumes that he didn't win Tekken 1. And Tekken 3 assumes that he didn't win Tekken 2. <laughs> like there are winners to those tournaments there. So there's an official ending, but then the multiverse is incarnate in the game. And then the same thing happens with, you know, uh, with like, there's a, your choices matter in Mario, right? Like you could die and not win, but that's not the canon Mario ending. Yeah. Right. Mario three requires you to have <laughs> won Mario two. <laughs> like that's a, and, and so on. And there's a, I mean, like where, like, I, I mean, things that I even know, right? Like I know that like, Donkey Kong from the current Donkey Kong series is the son of Donkey Kong, who is the Cranky Kong in the current Kong series. Like they're the mythology evolves. So that's I guess that's interesting. Like the you know, how do we deal with our headcanon interpretations of media based on you know versus the actual canon? when there are multiple canons. Yeah, like the Koopalings of Super Mario 3 will always be Koopa's children to me, even if they have been uh, retconned into henchmen. Uh, see, exactly. Fan so. fiction. Yeah. <laughs> so let us know your thoughts in the show notes. Anyway, thank you to both of our guests for, for joining us. I appreciate this. Let's see, Michael, anything you want to plug? Just Follow me on Twitter, I guess. I'm at, at person of con. Which is a 
Very interesting Twitter handle. I, I always mean to ask you about that. What does that mean? I used to go by person of consequence and somebody called me pretentious. Ah. So I'm like, fine, person of con. <laughs> that was less pretentious. <laughs> that's, like a, that's like a personalized license plate oh, that you're great. trying to figure out. Like, hmm. <laughs> yeah. it, it feels like it's a D&D &D character somehow. Nicole, what about well, you? Uh, since this is by the time this airs, when is this going up? When this airs, you have four days. Four days <laughs> to submit if you're interested yes, in attending the mm -hmm. virtual meeting of the National Popular Culture Association. We've gone virtual. It's in April. There are over 120 different areas. If you're interested in submitting, go to uh, pcaaca.org. And link in the show notes. You can link follow me mm -hmm. on Twitter uh, at nfrime. I'm not that exciting though. <laughs> so but, uh, the conference is, but the conference is a very to and... meet and listen to a lot of really fascinating papers. Comics is the best, but I'm only slightly prejudiced. Mm -hmm. You're not supposed to say that anymore. Uh, You're. I, I will always have allegiance <laughs> to to my first love at PCA, which was comics. So. Okay. And yeah, if you do attend the conference, you will find many people who have been on this show and are frequently on this show at that conference. It's always a fun. It is probably, actually not even probably, it is my favorite academic. So we go every year. Palindrome Hannah, where can people find you? In April, you can find me at PCA giving a paper on Eternals hey. and Darwin. <laughs> Darwin as an actual Darwin, not Darwin as in the, the Yeah, yeah. I guess I guess yeah, I guess it's actually really important for this audience to clarify as in Charles Darwin and yes. the series okay. of evolution. Yes. Very interesting. <laughs> You can follow me on Twitter or Instagram or Facebook, all the places, always at Chris Maverick. You can follow the show, all those same places, at Vox Popcast. You can follow the show's blog at www.voxpopcast.com, where you can find show notes. You can find calls for comments where we tell you what our next show is going to be. You can give us your thoughts on topics and pitch yourself as a guest. You can follow our box office results that we've been talking about at the beginning of, the of this episode. It's very exciting. It's extremely exciting if because if you're watching, you'll see that I'm going to be in last place for quite a while because I don't think I have a movie coming out till April, you know, assuming that happens. So We're here. I've got a big, yeah, I've got a big gamble going on in this in, in the box office game. If you enjoyed the show, we certainly hope you do, then please subscribe to us on iTunes or Stitcher or Spotify or wherever the hell else you get podcasts from. And do us a favor, leave us a five-star review. If you leave us a five-star review, especially on iTunes, Apple Podcasts, that gooses the algorithm, makes us more popular, really helps us out, and we enjoy it. It just makes me feel good. I like going, we haven't gotten any reviews in a while, so please write us a five-star review just so I have something to read and to feel good about. I would like to thank... Maximilian of Thoughtform Music for our epic theme song building ever so more epically and playing us out. I'd like to thank both of our guests for joining us. I'd like to thank you for listening, and we'll see you next time. Goodbye.